the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everybody. I'm in a feisty mood today, and I'm not sure it'll even come out. It usually does. Dennis and Julie. I'm Dennis, as in Dennis Prager. She is Julie, as in Julie. Oh, uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. H. H. Julie H. It would be yes. accurate for you. I know. That's the pa- that's that's true. You're not. You weren't sure I was kidding around, Hartman. It's Dennis and Julie. It's absolutely unique. This is not a compliment. It's a statement of fact. What we what we do here each week is unique, and I I will tell you I love it. I love it too. You it's do? the highlight in my. No, I don't like it at all. Okay, you see, I got the truth out of her. <laughs> Duh! It's a highlight of my week. Yeah, it's a big it's a big deal. It is. All right, I'll put this away. You, you know what? On on a very serious note, I think about this. More often than I should, probably, but I. But it, it, it's not depressing. I, when I think about the, your future, and you will have all of these videos. I know, it's really great. It, it, it is. It's really great. It's, I said I said it on either to you off air or on air that when I'm 40, to be able to look back and see myself on air, learning or remember things that I was going and, through, and our interactions. Yes. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> to hear your well, wisdom. let's see. When you're forty, twenty-seven is it? So it is possible I'll still be around when you're forty. It better be definitive, not just possible. Wait, wait. You'll be forty. No, no. You'll be forty in seventeen years. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. There's a very good chance. Uh, That's yeah. a little scary to say. No, no, that no, I'm no, no. Be 40 I forgot in 17 that. Years. Isn't wow. that? Isn't that? Ooh. A- age is really, that hurt a little bit. Yeah. Well. Okay. In seventeen years. If I could say I'll be forty, I'd be uh, I'd be okay. Anyway, I have a very serious subject. I told you I didn't tell you what it was, and it's uh, it emanates from my radio show. So here, uh, let me give you the background. There's a school in Virginia, the I have Thomas Jefferson School for Science and Technology. So it's a ritzy ritzy school. So you know what the National Merit Awards are, correct? Yes. Of course you do. Yes. By the way, did you receive one? No. I'm shocked. I didn't. That's fascinating. Okay, anyway. So this school did not announce who won it. Oh, I Because they this. did not want to hurt the feelings of the kids who didn't win one. And I thought this, this by the way... This is worthy of its own discussion, and maybe we'll have it. I call it the feminization of society, and I'll explain why. But but that that's a separate issue to the one I want to raise with you because it's a personal issue. So I then, 
as a result of talking about that, I actually devoted my whole happiness hour to the subject of when you protect kids from dealing with failure, you're ruining their lives. Truly, it's, it's a form of child abuse. You have to learn how to deal with failure. And I even said, you'll get a kick out of this. I, I mean, an intellectual kick. I don't, I don't know. It's not going to make you laugh. When my boys, both of my boys play baseball on organi- in organized baseball leagues. Hmm. And when I would be at their games, I actually, and I'm sure for some parents this almost sounds like I, I'm, I'm horrible, I was a horrible parent, I was ambivalent about whether I was going to root for them to win or not. Wow. Now, I, of course, I acted like I, I, I was rooting for them to win, and part of me was. I want my kids to be on a winning team, obviously. But, but at least as much of me did not want them to win. I wanted them to learn how to deal with losing at as early an age as possible. So I dealt with that on the happiness hour, the whole issue of if you, if you have not been trained to deal with failure, you cannot, be, you cannot live a happy life. Mm-hmm. That's the way life is. So all, all of a sudden, at about the three-quarter mark of my show, I thought, holy crow, I got a, a very interesting topic for Dennis and Julie, which you don't know. This is, you're hearing it as anybody watching or listening hears it for the first time. So just to review, you you excelled in high school. You were a a, a statewide class champion swimmer, and you got into Harvard, and you graduated from Harvard, and now virtually unique among anyone your age have a national podcast and, and appear on a national syndicated level regularly. I mean, incredible amount of success in your life. So I thought, I want to raise it with you. Did you, A, did you ever experience failure? B, if you experienced a minimal amount, are you prepared for life? Hmm. And by the way, I even, not only did I think about this to pose this to you, but I also thought that you have an answer. And, and, and that is, you know life's rough because of your sister. Was that what, did that occur to you? Oh, as you were speaking, it that's did? what I was thinking of, so, yes. So, okay, go ahead. I'll be honest that I haven't experienced a lot of failure in my life, but I've experienced a lot of disappointment and deep sadness as a result of the situation with my sister. So I've, I know how to deal with disappointment and setbacks because of that situation. Now, as far as failure, as I just said, yes, it's true. I haven't experienced a lot of it, but I actually did have a pretty big failure in college at least through my eyes. you I don't even think that you know this about me, which is really saying something because you know almost everything about me. I joined an improv group in college, and for almost my entire time at Harvard, I was in an improv group. Did you know that? No. So I, when I got to Harvard, I was so excited to be done with the sports part of my life, and I really wanted to explore something different. I remember being there on campus and when three o'clock would roll around, I would go, oh my gosh, 
I don't have to dive into a pool. I could, oh, is that interesting? I could go walk into a bakery and get a croissant and sit outside and oh, watch the birds. Oh, like it was, right? It felt like I had been. I'm sorry to say it. This released, released from, from prison. prison. Yes, but anyway, you know, I'm a very regimented, disciplined person, and I wanted to try something new, and I knew that college would be the time to do that. So the first week of freshman year, I decided to try out for the improv team. And miraculously, I made it on without any improv experience. About 100 freshmen tried out for three freshman spots on a 12-person improv team, and I was one of the three freshmen who got it. Right. Does not sound like we're we're ramping up for failure Well, you trust me, we are. Okay. And it's actually something I think a lot about now within the context of, of this work that I'm doing because when I was in the tryout process for the improv group, even though I had no experience, I'm, I'm going to compliment myself here, I was so good because I really thought I wasn't going to get on the team. So I just went into the tryouts with a, don't worry, I'm not going to say the full word, but with an F it attitude. I, I, my mom is super theatrical and hilarious, and I just played her in every single scene. I just tried to channel her, and I got on. But then once I got on, I realized that everyone on the team had four or five years of improv experience. Like, it, that was their extracurricular to get them into Harvard. And when I joined the improv team, it was just my, I'm now at Harvard and going to try something new. So I really started to doubt myself, and I became awful. And we would have shows, and I would get up in front of hundreds of people who would come to the shows, and I would be dreadful. Like, and I know you know I'm hard on myself. I was bad. I was not good. And there were times that I was good. Did you sense from your colleagues? Oh, oh yes. It was. It was so odd because it was like the first time in my life I experienced this. I could feel the the cringe coming from my teammates wow. uh, where they so badly wanted me to do well but every time I would walk on stage there would be other teammates that would walk on to be your scene partner and everyone would kind of hold back because they didn't want to be my scene partner right and it was just a palpable energy so did you quit I did my senior year only because of COVID. I desperately wanted to quit after my freshman year, but I but I made myself stick with it because I thought it was a really good exercise for and me. And did you get better? Yes, I did, but it was a, it was an uphill climb. Why didn't they throw you off? Because they that's not really once you're in, you're in. Uh-huh. But I had teammates talk to me about it. I even had there was one So you felt is the word overstated or did you really feel a failure oh i felt a failure to go up on because my my teammates would go on and they would do these scenes and they were so funny and everyone would laugh oh, God. and then i would go on and uh, well would if be, there's pressure to be funny it's uh, even harder but you know what it was dennis it wasn't i'm sure i actually would have been semi-competent at it if i had just let myself be but i had i had such a critical voice in my head, which in improv, improv is improv. You're literally up there and you have to... Right, you have to be loose. You have to be loose and you have to grab little right. things. Or in, And so, again, in tryouts, I was good at it because I didn't care. But then when I was up there, I'm like, you have to be funny. How are you going to do this? How are, and I overthought it and I many times fell on my face. 
This new year, we've all got fitness and diet goals, and Factor 75 is here to help each of us achieve them. Save time and have the energy that you need to tackle everything on your to-do list with Factor's ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter what your lifestyle is, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest with a keto diet, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and protein plus meals on the menu each week. They are prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, and each meal has all of the ingredients that you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 36-plus quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor the cheaper option compared to takeout, but meals are ready quicker than restaurant delivery. They're ready in just two minutes. Eating vegan or veggie is a snap with Factor because each meal is prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. You know that your Factor meal has all of the ingredients that you want and nothing that you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to select vegan plus veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, there's really no easier way to get well. Achieve and maintain your fitness and diet goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time, start eating well, and living your best year yet. Head to factor75.com slash Julie60 and use the code Julie60 to get 60% off of your first Factor box. That's the code Julie60 at factor75.com. Go to factor75.com slash Julie60 to get 60% off of your first box. So let me amplify on this subject because it's so so incredibly important to me. And, uh, and using you again... So when I spoke about the need for a kid to work through failure, otherwise they can't be a happy or competent adult, what I meant, and I didn't say this, but I'm thinking now, I, I also meant not just failure, but an, an awareness that life is not fair. Mm-hmm. That you've had through your oh, sister, no doubt. So that's so that's really important. And I know, knowing you, as you pointed out, and I do know you. By the way, I know you, and I think people should know this in large measure because you you're not opaque, and I'm not opaque, and and that's that is such a delight. I I, I could not be close to anyone who was. Uh, opaque, who, who you, you you can't or transparent as as one caller called me once. I'm, I am transparent, and I want to be. Anyway, you know life is tough, and that when I think about it, it's not. It's a bigger issue than experiencing failure. It's knowing life is tough, mm-hmm. and a. If maybe the major reason for the success of the woke, the progressive, the left, whatever term you want to use, is they were raised in such a cocoon, mm-hmm. 
that they don't know life is rough. And my proof, there are many proofs, is their use of the term microaggression. Yes. So wait a minute. So there's no macroaggression. So in other words, I mean, the examples are sick. If you speak, say to somebody who has an accent in the English, in English, speaking English, oh, where are you from? You're not supposed to ask that. That's a microaggression. Mm-hmm. You have to be out of... I've been to so many countries and I speak a, a, a few languages. Of course, they ask me, where are you from? I don't, I don't, I don't speak any of those languages like they do. So uh, if they don't ask me where I'm from, I think, you're not curious? I'm speaking Russian like a non-Russian and you're not mm-hmm. curious where I'm from? Of course they ask. This is the first question they would ask. That means I'm interested in you. It's not a microaggression. But th- it proves the ease with which these people are hurt shows you that they expect to live in a painless universe. I call wokeism a spoiled brat syndrome. If your biggest problem is that someone is offending you by asking you where you're from, you have it pretty damn good in life. If it, Forget even biggest problem. I if know. it's a problem it's at a problem, all. Period. Well, it's, it, it really is an interesting subject because it seems that with the United States, the more prosperous that we've gotten and the more privileged that we've gotten we've that's contributed to our demise and the situation that we see now and on the flip side people who have endured the most seem to be oftentimes the healthiest or the right. and it's if i could i mean there are many questions i would ask god but i would say why why did you create it that way even even with gina throughout my entire life the question has haunted me why was she born the hartman child with autism but I wasn't born. By the way, it's severe autism. autism. I mean, yes. I have an autistic stepson, and and, and they're they're night and day difference. Uh, you know, you know, obviously, Brandon, and there's there's no comparison. Yes, I mean, he's the easiest person in the world to live with. He he lives, oh, he's he so lives with my wife and me. Hmm? He's so funny. Oh, and he's funny. Oh, I love one. I love that you got him a Harvard sweatshirt. I did. Yeah. By the way, you know what I told him yesterday? It's you'll love this. I commented on the sweatshirt, and I said. And I said to someone who was visiting the house, I said, I, Brandon is clearer about the world than most students who attend Harvard. And, and he's autistic, and, and not everything that comes out is coherent. But he, he is on occasion, half the time coherent, and he understands what threatens liberty he does. Brandon, we have to tell the audience, Brandon is probably more politically engaged than the two of us combined. Oh, oh, he, he, he knows everything. Yes. And it doesn't come from you. No, it's You're all not feeding on, it no, to him. No, it's all on his own. He's very right-wing, oh, too. He's to the right of me, that's the, or and to, and to, and of you. But anyway, I just wanted to point out, I, I don't want to lose track here, Gina is not at all... Oh, Gina's not, in a category it, it, well, of her she, own. Well, she doesn't speak coherently or anything. No. And, and she, she has to be professionally taken care of. So you have known from a very early age, life isn't fair. Mm-hmm. That's really what I was talking about. Not just did you ex- did you personally experience failure? Well, also I learned from a young age that life is, in addition to not being fair, and I saw that literally every day with my sister, A, and that she was the one born with autism and not me, and B, that she has been the victim of negligence and abuse because she is nonverbal and she can't tell when when and if her caretakers are being mean to her but also growing up 
it was really powerful to see how you can have such conflicting feelings about a person. My oldest sister... Conflicted. Did I say conflicting? Yeah. Oh, no. That is right. This is one, this is the only person in the world on air I correct. What did I say recently? It was annoyment. That one... That was That was, that was pretty bad. Well, that was a new word. Conflicting at least exists. Yes. Sorry. All right. I Listen, I'm, I'm gradually saying graduated from... Yes. yes. I noticed you did it a few minutes yeah, ago. Thank you. Major kudos. Thank you. I realize that you can have complicated, I think actually is the better word, complicated feelings about a person. My oldest sister, Gina's in the middle, my oldest sister is very loving to Gina, but growing up, she had more uh, resentment and anger towards Gina and the, the burden that, that Gina presents for our family. I, from a very young age, always... I, I, I didn't have that, luckily. But as Gina got older and as she became more violent and had more outbursts, I did start to really resent her. And there was there was one um, instance that happened a few years ago. It was like one of the worst days of my life. It was we my parents and I took Gina out of her group home and we took her about a mile in the car to get uh, frozen yogurt. And this was one of the group homes that my parents were desperately trying to get her out of, going to court, trying to prove that these government-run homes were so awful and they were trying to get Gina out, but but they were not prevailing at the time, so she was still in the group home. But anyway, we took her out to get yogurt, and we were sitting in the parking lot, and she was eating her yogurt, and all of a sudden, she starts freaking out in a way that we have never... She used to have behaviors, but this was like... How old was Next she? Le- this was this was just about four years ago. So oh, she was, oh, recently. I was wow. I was a freshman in college. I was home for okay. break. Okay, all right, go on. And she was twenty six. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, she started freaking out, threw her yogurt all over the car, started hitting me, hitting my dad. My dad. She was in the back seat. My dad oh was in the driver's seat, grabbing my dad's head clawing at my dad turns to me starts biting me we've she's never done this before never biting me she leans back she starts kicking and i'm yelling to my mom because my mom is so tiny my mom is like five three and she's super skinny and i was like i was afraid she was going to seriously hurt my mom so i'm yelling to my mom get out of the car get out of the car and then my dad tries to get out and we try to hold her down but she's a big strong girl and again you could not imagine how severe this behavior was crying kicking blood curdling screams clawing elbowing punching it was awful and the thing that was so hard about it in addition to truly fearing i mean for myself and and for my family family, was i hated her at that moment Mm -hmm. Because she terrified me. She put me in danger. And also, not to mention, it was embarrassing. People around us are like, is this what's going on in this car? I hated her so much. But I also could have cried because I knew why she was doing that. And it was because she was being abused in her home. And she was so miserable. And I have never seen her behave that way. She's a very loving person despite her difficulties. And for her to get to the level where she is biting us shows that she was really suffering. So the point why I bring it up, I'm sorry if it's too heavy. I don't I don't mean to no, depress no, you no. or the it's listeners, but it's real life. We talk It's real life. life. Yeah. But the reason why I bring it, bring it up is to show it's a very powerful thing from a young age to realize that two things can be true at once. Hmm. You can hate a person 
in a moment and like Gina and go, why are you doing this to us? And also have heart shattering sympathy for her and sadness. And people on the left don't know how to reconcile contradictions. They need to have everything make sense perfectly all at once. They, they don't see that life can be complicated and two things can be true at once. Boy, is that ever true. It's like uh, this wonderful psychiatrist you, we, you know as well as I, Dr. Stephen Marmer, he taught me the term from Freud, I think it's from Freud, splitting. Oh, yeah, you said and this. Kids do that with parents. They're either perfect or, or hideous. And, and humans split a lot. So the, the left's view of America is, is so unnuanced. It's just hideous. Mm-hmm. We've, had, we've had slavery, so we're hideous. Yes, exactly. It, it's truly, they are children. I, I, it's, it, if I had to use only one term to describe the left, I would say they're children. They reduce everything to absolutes, and yes, life is not which, that way. Which is what children do. Yes. If your your parent says you shouldn't curse, then their the, uh, driver cuts them off, and, and they and they go, oh s uh, s word, and and the kid thinks, oh what a phony my father is. All of a sudden, from a hero to a phony, th- that that's what children do, and, and that's what they do about America and about everything else. But I just want to return then to the original theme. So the truth, you you have experienced life is unfair and pain, but not failure. Well, the improv thing, going back okay, to that. Okay, all right. No, most Dennis. Pe- most it- people, no, no, I, I hear well, you. Most people listening are thinking she didn't do well in her improv group in Harvard we're not really weeping for Julia. This I time. totally get it, and I'm not asking you. I <laughs> no, am not, you're not asking, asking you to weep for no, me. No, we know that. I know. You're not. What I am saying, though, is I have felt – look, in in the like grand scheme of life, have I failed, meaning I've been fired? Well, not even no. grand scheme. I, I mean, okay. All right, so you had that. History repeats itself, and we're seeing that play out right now with inflation. When Jimmy Carter took office in the late 1970s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,300 an ounce. This is Julie Hartman for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while the prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that could drive up prices. Be smart and consider buying now. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You won't be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices at AmFed Coin and Bullion. 1-800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. That's AmericanFederal.com. Which is, which, so, so I'll ask you this. I'll, I'll generalize it. Anybody who got into Harvard has succeeded maximally in, in terms of most people's thinking about what you could succeed at at 18 years of age. They got into the most prestigious school in the Western world. Maybe Oxford is tied. Okay. So 
if I were to ask this or discuss this with your with your classmates, so I'm just curious, have you experienced failure? What do you think the average one would have answered? And do you think it's played a role in shaping them if they haven't experienced much failure? I don't think most of us have. If they're right. honest, they would answer no. Right. So, okay. So here's my, this is the reason I'm asking. Do you think it has shaped them in any way? Yeah. Oh, yes. Go ahead. I think that we're all rigid. I think that we come to expect success and feel entitled to success. And failure and disappointment and sadness makes you a nuanced, deep person. Having constant... And much more empathetic. Much more empathetic. And just more authentic and real. So, you know, this brings me back. You have no idea how much it affected me saying to you as a result of things you said in our interaction on the last... Dennis and Julie was my recommendation, which I'm going to go public with. I'm going to write a column on it and I'm going to do a broadcast on it. When you graduate high school and certainly if you, when you graduate college, be a waiter or a waitress and outside of your comfort zone of New York, Boston, LA, go, go to the Midwest and be a waiter or waitress for a year. I think parents should say, I will I will pay your expenses. It is so important to me that you lead a real life for one year. And I think it would be transformative. Mm-hmm. What happens too that when you achieve, achieve, achieve and have so much success in life is that you're when you have another achievement, you come to see it as the bare minimum instead of an achievement because it's what you've done for your whole life. So it's like, of course, I have to continue doing this. And I feel like I'm making everything about me, but I will just quickly tell this personal story. When I got into Harvard, I was expecting to have this crazy big jumping up and down, crying energetic reaction my heartbeat was the same at 359 as it was at 401 the decisions came out at four o'clock in other words when i opened the letter that said congratulations was i grateful yes was i excited yes but was i overjoyed because you assumed it would happen no well this is by the way don't feel funny about saying that well i do and th- there's a reason why I haven't told that story because it comes off as a bit odd. Okay. I-, I will make you feel better when I talk about me at your age. Go ahead. It's not that I-, I really, I actually genuinely thought that I was going to get deferred, if I'm being very honest. I did not think I was going to get you rejected. Mean on the waiting list. On the wa- yes, I thought yeah. I was going to get on the waiting list. I did not expect to get in that day. But I think it's, I think, again, I just sort of saw getting into Harvard as awful. I know I sound so awful. But I saw it as the bare minimum right? because I was like, well, I'm on this treadmill and this is, you know, this is what I've got to achieve to stay on it. And I've noticed that among my classmates, too, where we are all such high achieving people. And by the way, I've you know, I've really done the work. I hate saying that term because it's the left says that about racism. But I have done the work to try to uh, divorce myself of that uh, worldview. 
the accomplishment oriented worldview, I mean, but a lot of my classmates, like when we would do well on tests or if my classmates would get awards um, for writing or something like that, we wouldn't really celebrate because it was just, yeah, that's what we have to do. And that's what we've always done. Box checked. Move on. So I'm sitting here conflicted. Again, uh, I know that I've never said what I'm about say to say. It. It's publicly. Dennis and Julie. It is. It's it, it's really a unique thing, and I know it does not come from a bad or arrogant place. I had that at your age. So, at at just very briefly, at the age of twenty, the Israeli government found me and sent me to the Soviet Union for a month to smuggle in religious items, to smuggle out names of Jews who wanted to leave. I was barely 20 years old. I had just turned 20. And I knew Russian and Hebrew, so I was the perfect candidate for for doing this. Do you know how I felt on the plane going into the Soviet Union that the Israeli government is paying for this trip and sending me for an extremely important mission? And And all I kept saying is, Dennis Prager from Brooklyn. Dennis Prager from Brooklyn. However, I I have your, and this may, I hope it doesn't lower me in the esteem of, of viewers, it's not a bad thing. And I'll explain me, and you'll find this fascinating. I knew they would choose me when they interviewed me at the Israeli Foreign Office. I knew I would win the one award Brooklyn College gave to 2,500 students to have a full year abroad paid for. I knew I would win it. It wasn't arrogant. It was just, I just, like, I know I wouldn't win a physics prize. It's not, I didn't think I'm omnipotent, but that was my, that was what I was best at, being interviewed, speaking, making a good impression having deep ideas. So I won that, and that's what made the Russian trip possible. And, 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 and then everything flowed from that. I was sent to the United Nations the next year. That's so cool. They had the, the, I don't, you don't know no, this I, one. No, I didn't know that. In 1970, the 25th anniversary of the UN, they had the World Youth Assembly, the only time they ever had it. And I was chosen as one of the delegates to the United Nations. We were in the Security Council. We were in the General That's Assembly. So cool. Yes, unbelievable. I'll tell you one great story. I I this was this was this is quintessential me. We're sitting in the Security Council and it was already run by the world's left. That the the chairman of the Security Council was a Palestinian delegate. Okay? So I'm sitting I- I- there and then the Russian delegate, and this is not make-believe, this is real Palestinians, real Russians. They're, oh, and by the way, the Soviet delegation were all over 40. <laughs> These people had been going to youth assemblies for like 20 years. It was a joke. They're professional youths. So uh, he got up and he was annoyed about something and he says, I smell a conspiracy, and it's coming through simultaneous translation. Everything was the same as is at the UN itself. It was the UN. And I raised my hand, point of order, point of order, and they have to be called. Yes, said, 
To the Soviet delegate who said he smells a conspiracy, I can only say there's a very famous American saying, he who smelt it, dealt it. O-M-G. Well. First of all, that is witty and that is ballsy. Correct on both. That's me at 21 years of age in the I U.N. I love it. So, <laughs> there was, so there's a gallery at the Security Council. They burst out laughing. The guy cleared out the gallery because they couldn't stop laughing <laughs> after my comment. Oh, my God. I can imagine them so, yes. being translated. Oh, I know. you Well, dying. obviously, it was done for English-speaking people. I, I'm sure right. they in but some still. way. Yeah. So I'm just telling you, all of these things happen by, by by the age of 22. Let's see, 1970, I wasn't yet 22. I turned 22 in the summer. This this was right before that. So my view of myself, to get to a very serious point, was it makes sense that this is happening to me. I was immensely grateful. I, I just... the But... I knew what I believed God had given me. And the reason I didn't get arrogant or anything like that uh, is that I believed I am just... This, this is new. All of this is new to you. I have viewed my life from that age. I am a vessel for these ideas. That's all I am. I'm like a telephone. I'm, I'm like a radio. I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a podcast, not, or, which didn't exist then, obviously. But that's all I am, and I, and, and therefore it wasn't. Oh, I'm terrific. It was. Oh, yes, I have these abilities to do good with them. Yes, totally. I, I echo that. I always felt that I was given what Gina was supposed to have. Huh. God didn't give it to her, but he gave the the rest of it to me. And I'm not, and I'm also very aware I'm not supposed to be here. I was born from a surrogate mother and there were several, I mean, my parents tried to have me after Gina was born and my mom couldn't carry. And so then they pursued the surrogacy route and two gestational surrogates failed. And then wow. my surrogate was the third. That's why there's such an enormous age difference between my two older sisters and me. So I'm aware, oh my gosh, I'm not even supposed to be on this earth. It's, it's, or I I shouldn't say I'm not supposed to. It's, it's a miracle that I am here. Right. Also, I have this sister and I felt like I always had to compensate for her or I had to, you know, I wasn't born with this disability. So the, the bare minimum that I can do is make use of all of my abilities. So it's the same thing. When I got into, to Harvard, I was, grateful i was acutely aware that it was a privilege and something that most people don't get to have and i was determined to make the most of it but i thought you know what julie this is just again this is the bare minimum you have you used all your abilities to get here and right but my check. fear is all your all your colleagues at harvard who think that way oh well totally well uh, i don't think they think it in the way you do no they don't but also many of them look in order to have the I'm just going to be honest in order to have the discipline and the talent to get to a place like Harvard I I do think that you need something in your life that motivates you and kicks it over the top 
For me, it was my sister. I know other people at Harvard, and they had Why parents die. Why did your die. sister make you kick it over the top, as you said? Because I felt such a responsibility to make use of my abilities and to compensate for her. I felt like I had for to... For your family. For sake. my parents, yes. For your parents. Sake. I felt like I had to achieve, achieve, achieve. And my parents always told me that I didn't need to do this. But still, I saw their pain, and I thought I have to... I have to be the distraction. And, and and I will say a lot of people at Harvard, not everyone, but a lot of people at Harvard have something like that in their lives, in their families, that give them that push. Well, you are you prepared for failures? I, I ask myself that a lot. I do. I do think I am. Because of what the situation with Gina has taught me. And also, I talk to myself a lot about how I'm aware that I haven't failed in the grand scheme of life. And I'm aware that I, it's inevitable that I will at some point in my life fail. And as I said on our last show, I'm trying to right now build the infrastructure to know how to deal with that. I think you would. I think you would. And the the thing that's... The thing about failure is that in in the little doses that I've experienced it, it turns you back to yourself where when I was failing at improv and I knew that everyone in there, it is the worst feeling standing up in front of people and you know that they know that you suck and they're waiting for you to get off the stage. I mean, trust me, it is like, that's true. You feel like a, a clown. And you're trying to be funny and failing. It's like an unfunny clown. Yes, it's it's awful. But I had to go back inside myself. And when I would feel so bad, I mean, there were times I didn't want to leave my dorm room because I didn't want to walk on campus and like show my face because I was so ashamed of myself. And I had to I just had to look inside myself and go, Julie, is this is this how you're going to judge yourself? Are you going to judge your self-worth off of whether or not you performed well in that improv show? I, it brought me back to me. And it brought me back to the need to build an infrastructure to deal with it. And that's a really good thing. And I don't think many of my peers or people my age have that. Myself included. I'd like to introduce you to Monorail, America's investment app that takes you from where you are to where you want to be. Monorail is an investment and savings app that is made for patriots by patriots. It doesn't matter whether you're an Apple fan or if you prefer Android, Monorail is available in both environments and online at monorail.com. Monorail is safer for users with bank-level encryption and biometrics. Your money is protected with Monorail through the Securities Investor Protection Corporation and the FDIC. No matter how you engage with Monorail, you're getting the security and safety that you need. Whether you're adding funds to your investment account, looking to buy a stock, or putting money aside for future purchases. With Monorail, you can put your money where it matters and utilize the economic power that built this country. Don't go somewhere else to trade stocks. Monorail gives you the freedom to purchase whole or fractional shares in companies that you believe in. It only takes five minutes to download the app and to set it up. Join the pro-America money movement. Join Monorail. Well, among other things, it does reinforce my belief. The world would be a better place if every Harvard graduate took a waiting job for a year. In, in Omaha. So let me ask you, have you failed? So you tell me, okay, here's an example. 
So I've had a, a radio talk show, a syndicated one. I, I've been on radio for 40 years, but it's syndicated for 24 years. That entire time, or virtually, either virtually the entire time or the entire time, I was on national radio at the exact same time Rush Limbaugh was. Rush Limbaugh, for future generations, was was the most successful talk show host uh, in America for a good quarter of a century. And it was my luck or non-luck to be up against him at the hours, which were noon to 3 Eastern time, 9 to 12 Pacific time. And he had way more income, way more stations. I had hundreds, but he had three times as many. And and income-wise, I would say he earned 20 times, 30 times more than I did. Interestingly, it never bothered me. In the eyes of those who, who, who check off these things, I wasn't a failure. I mean, how, very few people have a national radio show. There may have been three of us at that hour in all of America. So if you're one out of 100 million people doing something, you're not a failure. I, and, and by the way, that's what I, I would explain to myself. I wish I had his audience I never thought, oh, I wish I had his income. I was never driven, ever driven by money. I probably should have been more so, but I wasn't. But I wish I, I always want to talk to more people because I have very good things to say and I want, to, I want people to hear them. But uh, so you tell me, was in my profession, not in my life, that's, I wasn't a failure. Was I somewhat of a failure? No. Oh, it seems odd to you even yes. to ask it? Well, look at what you said a few minutes ago when you said most people would not consider your right. You know, that's why I say at so. Not, not, not right, but compared to him, I wasn't a success. Right. Well, compared to my other people on the team, I, I mean, I wasn't a success, but I was still at Harvard, and you're still on national radio. I mean, I don't view that okay, as a failure. Okay. So okay, I view uh, that as your number two. There, there, there. Right. Which is. <laughs> Okay, not, maybe in our right. eyes is a failure. Yeah, no, no, it, it wasn't right. But I understand your your funny your funny line. So did I ever experience failure? Let's go back to that. Well, yes, I'll tell you. My, I, I can't believe I didn't answer this. I was thinking professionally. Well, yes, I mean, I I I was divorced twice, and everyone everyone who divorces, I think, thinks they're a failure, even mm-hmm. if it's not if not it's not your fault, and and. The first one was mutual. The second one, they were both mutual, but the second one, I know I worked my tail off to make it work uh, for a long time. It was 17 years. I mean, and I, I was up against an insoluble dilemma because she has passed away and she's the mother of my second child. And uh, she, she had been uh, sexually abused by a relative as a child. Mm-hmm. And the, the the amazing thing it seems seem have issues issues in her previous marriage if I, you don't mind me asking oh I, you could ask but I, I don't know the answer because I I I I, I never posed the question to the ex mm-hmm. her her ex husband but did you pose it to her? 
No, not about not about the the G. It's blossom is a bad word, but it came to fruition. Blossom is a bad word, but it came to fruition. The bad, but it came to fruition. The bad, the bad things. Anyway, it, it, that's not here or there. I, I'm just saying, anyone who divorces thinks that that they have failed. Obviously, I, I will say, even having obviously, I, I will say, even having said that, I I did this on the radio. I do most things, I believe, on the radio to get feedback from people. That it is better to marry and divorce than never to marry. I, I profoundly believe that you become a better person, but it 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 involves failure and it involves suffering. So that that's a big deal. It is. It is. I'll I'll tell you another. I I don't want to characterize this as failure because I am very much aware that it's not, but it evokes a similar emotion that failure does. So I'm in the beginning stages of the launch of my show. Do I have a big audience? I know that it's going. I know that it's going to. I will have a big audience. Priority is, and I talk to you off air about. Priority is, and I talk to you off air about this. Getting better, and I talk to you off air about this. Getting better, as opposed to garnering a, a, a large amount of people watching me. I just want to become really, really. Sh- That's my priority. That's my priority. But it was a bit discouraging the first week or week and a half in the show. Humbling. To see, yeah, humbling. That's, that's the better to, way of to go. Okay, it. Yeah, you know what? Discouraging. Yeah, this humbling is, and right. This is going to be a no, slow that, crawl. That's right. And right, and, uh, you were not the center of the world. No, and you, and by the way, I wasn't expecting to launch and have a, a hundred thousand listeners. Right. I I don't have um, what's the term? Uh, grandiosity. Grandiosity. Yes. Uh, visions of grandiosity i i knew that it was going to be a slow climb but then when you get in it and you you know you realize how hard it is and you see the the numbers you all the more realize that it's going to be a slow climb so i had to really have some some talks with myself where i went julie you're you know i just said that thing about how i want to get good at, at my craft as if that was a given uh mindset that i had but it wasn't in the I had to really tell myself in the first or second week when I was getting a bit discouraged, Julie, you got to reorient your thinking. It's not about numbers at this stage. It's about getting good. And I had to, again, I had to turn back inside myself and I would go, are you really going to judge yourself based on numbers? That's not who you are. That's not who you want to be. Don't do that. So what's the lesson here? So I, I want everybody to be able to apply this themselves because... They may be saying, "Oh, this is this is ridiculous." Yeah, they Ju- might. Julie Hartman at twenty three has this big show. She's on with Dennis Prager every week, uh, and 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 she's talking about frustration and I failure know. and so on, uh, or or or, uh, or or using my life. Oh, oh, yeah, he was second to Rush Limbaugh. Poor thing. Okay, we're not. First of all, none of this is about being poor thing. None of this no. is any. It's only an honest assessment. Look, everything in terms of success and failure is relative anyway. That, that that is the way the whole term is relative if you're the 400th guy on the Forbes 400 most wealthy Americans list that mm-hmm. comes out every year you're 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 still one of the richest human beings on the face of the earth at the same time you're 400th and and both are true so it's and people need to understand that, the relativity of all of these terms. That's why 
my doing that subject on my happiness hour, this last happiness hour, has prompted me to, I, it, it, it raised another issue that I will do on another happiness hour. What does being successful mean? I was just about to bring this up because, yes, you know, perhaps some people can't relate to the quote unquote failures that we're talking about. But what our discussion, I hope, imparts is that whatever your circumstance or whatever, you know, whatever your profession is or what, whatever your personal life is, you have to figure out, I, I think the through line here is you have to figure out what you, what you think of as success and what you think of as failure. So we are too hard on ourselves about, or at least I am too hard on myself about things that... I no longer want to put in the category of success. What's more important to me, how I define success now is that I want to have a rich spiritual life. I want to have a rich social life. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to meet more people in LA. And I want to be, above all else, a dutiful person. I want to be good to my family, good to my friends, and good to my country. That's... that. That's the way that I've shifted my worldview away from the Harvard show, numbers, accomplishment, da 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 da. I've I've shifted it away from that and towards a different image of success that's not the societal messages that we get. So I think what you just said is is spot on. You have to figure well, out what it means. Well, first of all, the way you described success, you, you're uh, it's a very admirable. I, I swear, I know it sounds I, I know, so corny. I, I, know, I swear I, to God, I, that's I, how I view I, it now. I said it was admirable. I know it's true. So I will meet, I meet a lot of people. And I have a line, and I and it's a totally sincere line. I'll meet a person who doesn't have a particularly big income, is certainly not have any fame, uh, has done okay in his job, let's say, but has three terrific kids. And I will say to them, which even in in their very middle-class home, and I will say, you are very rich. Or you are a rich man, that's it. You are a really rich man. And they never, ever have said, what do you mean? Yep. They, yeah, I they it. knew exactly what I meant, and it had nothing to do with money or professional success. To think of the, the massive professional successes who have sadness from their children, you know, who's the, who's the rich guy? And I'm not blaming these wealthy people who have, I know terrific wealthy people totally. who just had bad luck. In, in, with regard to their ch- child. But who is the rich man? Who is the rich woman? Uh, who is the... You know, you, you're you're essentially... Every, every marriage is, you know, it's, its own world, but you're essentially happy with your spouse. Your kids are respectful and happy in their own lives. You know how well you're doing? You should be on the Forbes 400 success list, not not mm-hmm. money list. Mm-hmm. That's why, by the way, oh, this is such a great topic too. 
I I will say I'm de- I'm quiet because I'm debating whether to say it, but what this show brings out of me is really mind blowing. So my friends can attest to this. When God gave me flaws, and He did, that I've had to overcome, and hopefully will or do or have. One of them, uh, one of them was not jealousy. I have never been envious of another human being in my life. It's, and that's why whenever I would meet Rush, and we met on a few occasions, it was pure fun and, and pleasure to meet him. I was thrilled for his success because he was such a powerful conservative voice in America. It was, if it was good for, for the society, his success, I was happy with it. It never occurred to me, oh my God, I, I envy his, his wealth, his, 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 the number of stations and listeners. Uh, and by the way, one of the reasons is this, you'll love this, you will love this. Joseph Telushkin's mother was a philosopher. Yeah, wow. Helen Telushkin. She was a homemaker philosopher. I was in high school visiting his his home, his parents' home. We're sitting in the kitchen. His mother is listening to our conversation about, I think it was something about who do we think is happy? Who are the happy kids in our class in high school? She closes the refrigerator door looks at us and says, boys, the only happy people I know are people I don't know well. And I that remember... That is such a great oh, statement. That is such a great book. statement. It, oh, yeah, it is. It, it's such a brilliant... It it's is. It's so Helen Telushkin, that line. She had this wit about her. Uh, so but, wise. But I, I knew that so early... Yes. The person you envy, you don't have a clue what's going on in his or her life. Mm-hmm. Then you wouldn't be so envious. I, I felt that way because I, I saw my own family and how a lot of us could look on the outside and, and have things to envy about us. And right. by the way, a lot of things are yes, true to no, envy. I have a true. wonderful. I yep. didn't have like a horrible childhood. I had a great childhood, great parents. You know, all of it was just in many ways great but they would you know i think a lot of people look at my family and they go oh you know everything is great but they have that one disabled child they have no flipping idea how bad it is that one disabled child and what that is they have right they can't even scratch the surface they're quantifying tragedy yes oh it's only one of the children right well they and they also don't know about the care or the you know anyway but the point the point is the pain and that's that's exactly right it's Everyone has a cross to bear. Everyone. Yes. And when you know that, it should end jealousy. I also was born with a nat, like you, unsurprisingly, a natural inclination to not be jealous. But I, I also recall having a talk with myself about this when I was in seventh grade at my high school, which was seventh through 12th. That's why I said high school, even though seventh grade is technically middle school. And we all, from a very early grade, were knew that we were on the path to get into college and we were all obsessed with getting in even at that again that young age and you started to kind of look left and right and go oh that girl's a good athlete she may be recruited or that girl's a really smart or da 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 and i remember having those thoughts and then i 
I was 12 years old. I remember I was sitting on the school bus and I said, Julie, you are not going to entertain those thoughts starting right now because if you are going to be utterly miserable if you go down this path. I said, it's your journey. It's your life. Let's say the that girl gets into Harvard. Well, who do you care if that girl gets into Harvard as long as you get into Harvard? It, you, that girl shouldn't matter. It's your life. And I knew I had to knock any semblance of that feeling out of my head or I was going to just hate my life. By the way, and yet this is example number 10,000. No, I'm exaggerating. Example number 55. When you say something, and I think I'm speaking to me, many years ago. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you. Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with the promo code HARTMAN. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and have a 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this great offer on the six-piece set off MyPillow towels, just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and enter the promo code HARTMAN or call 1-800-761-6302. That's MyPillow.com, promo code HARTMAN. That you talked to yourself and said, Julie, this is not going to lead to a happy life. I had the exact same experience in high school. I even remember the circumstance. I used to go, I lived in Brooklyn. My parents lived in Brooklyn. I lived with them. So I would go into Manhattan Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. To, to, I, I, I love the culture of Manhattan. The bookstores, the concerts, the museums, everything. Uh, I used it. And I'm coming back one night and I was seated. Uh, they, they had seats along the sides. I guess they still do. It's along the sides of the train. I was basically alone. I put my arms, you know, like this on on the the chair, as it were, uh, on the long chair. And I said to myself, junior year in high school, I was talking about whether I'm happy or not. And I said to myself, you know, Dennis, any a-hole can be unhappy. That's the easy way out. And, and I was permanently changed saying that to myself. Being unhappy is the easy way out. And it shaped my life. But I said it to me. Just if, like you said that to you. That's what struck me. If only people understood what you so eloquently say all the time and say have said in your happiness book. Happiness is very hard. To right. achieve. It's an art. We think of it as like... It's like playing the violin. Yes. It's very hard. It is. And it takes a lot of... I. This word is not a particularly uh, articulate way of saying it, but it takes a lot of grinding yeah. to get to the point of happiness. That's right. People People just think it It. it comes to they you. They think the happy are happy because they had an easy life. One of, one of the things that you and I seem to have naturally understood, but you really helped me fully adopt this into my life is that your worldview is everything. And I specifically 
got that from your rational Bible commentary. And I, I just remember reading that and I'm like, you know, if you, you, Julie, have a rich internal spiritual life, like you can hover above all the rest of this stuff. You you know, you can get, I mean, obviously life can hit you with tragedy and I'm not saying, you know, it can deeply affect you and throw you off course, but I think what your rational Bible above all else made me understand. And again, I, I always knew this, but you kicked it over the edge is that if I make myself internally rock solid, all this other that's right. crap that's right. can come and go, Yep. but I stay firm. I can have seven viewers on my show and go to sleep at night happy as a clam because I see the bigger picture or I can get fired from my job or I can stand up there in front of a hundred Harvard students and make a damn fool of myself. But if I'm good on the inside, it's okay. That's correct. You so got thank it. you. You got it. Well, you got it. And so and that's what I love about conservative because conservatives get that a lot of, I shouldn't, I shouldn't right, say yeah, with one broad right, brush. Right, yeah. As opposed to non-conservatives. As opposed to the non-conservatives. The non-conservatives that I grew up with thought that the external was was everything. Everything. What college you get into, the size of your house, the the purported success of your children. And what I appreciate about conservatives – Your IQ. Your IQ. What I appreciate about the conservatives I've met, not saying everyone, because they're religious, they have that – Understanding of what you said about that man who has a rich life. So his three I kids have are an good. interesting proof for you. You'll love yes. this. You will love it? this. So you know that Dr. Marmor, whom we spoke of, Alan Estrin, my producer, and the guy who came up with Prager, you and I, the three of us, founded a synagogue in Los Angeles. And I have said to people, even. This It had a previous incarnation as part of a, a different synagogue. Now it's independent. So I said this then. I said, do you know the only place, because the left talks about uh, you know, the, the working class and all people are, should be involved in equity and, and nobody's better than anyone, and all of that is fine. But there is really only one place I know of where your income, prestige, success financially, professionally, doesn't mean anything at my synagogue. I would say, and these people spend a lot of time together, they're there from 9 to 2 on Saturday. 9 is study with Dr. Marmer, then, then an hour of prayer, then they have me, uh, for giving a talk and, and, and Alan giving a briefer talk and then they have lunch and at lunch I, 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 I run the, the, the grace after meals and then I interview somebody. I interviewed you once. They're with each other a lot. I would say that the vast majority of people seeing each other every single week for years don't know what they do for a living. Isn't that be- isn't that equity? Yeah, that's the ultimate. Right, that's the, it, I mean, and it's the only uh, place you it's only in a religious setting that that could happen. That's what people don't get. They don't get. Look, e- 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 I know I'm not foolish. They they look, I'm a public figure. Of course they all know what I do and they know my life. Okay. But still in all, more than anything else, I'm Dennis. 
I'm, you know, I, I lead the grace after meals. I mean, it's not exactly a prestigious act to, to lead the seven-minute Hebrew uh, a prayer. Uh, anybody, literally anybody who knows Hebrew can do it. But uh, everybody is like that. Do you know that one of the most respected members of the synagogue, when he speaks, everybody pays attention because the guy is truly brilliant. He he runs a pipe fitting company. And I'll bet you 90% of the people at at, at at the service don't even know that. If I said to them, oh, you all, you know Boris, that's his name. He's a guy who came from Russia. I go, you know, Boris, uh, he's a professor of philosophy at UCLA. I think, oh, it makes perfect sense. No, no, Boris runs, runs a pipe a pipe company. You know, when I uh, realized my conservative instincts, when I would hear people talk about those conservatives in the South or blue-collar work or, you know, the way that – people on the left and specifically privileged people on the left paint conservative blue collar people as uh, primitive or not smart or hicks. I would think you have no idea. They, oh, they have no you idea. You have no idea how that, much smarter correct. 99% right. of those people are than you. Right. And, and, and how much more uh, Last textured night, Sue and, and interesting. I, my wife and I had dinner with a Mormon electrician. He's our electrician. This guy runs rings in clarity about life around every professor I had at Columbia. He's an electrician. And by the way, the Mormons do a good job at this because he the, every position there is lay. So there's no ordained clergy in, in, in the Mormon LDS church. So this guy was a bishop. He served as bishop, which is a big title in, in, in your community. And, and he's an electrician. Who I don't care. They don't care. He doesn't care. And, and it's only available within religion. That's where truly yep, we're true. all God's children. Have a nice day. And I, I, I love that fact. There's a couple there. I, I won't say more than this, that... Uh, and if there, there are more than one couple, but not not many, uh, whom uh, uh, we 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 help financially. Let me put it that way. We meaning Pragers or yes, the synagogue? Yes, the Pragers. No, not the synagogue. The Pragers, and so do so so do the Estrins, and so on. Nobody knows it. Nobody has a clue, and there's no reason for them to have a clue. But I'm just saying it goes from people who need help. To people in my in my in my capacity, I don't thank God need need financial help from anyone, uh, and nobody cares. Oh, oh, by the way, there are people way wealthier than me. Just just for the record, the, the, there's a the, in fact he's he's a Christian guy who comes every week. You would never know. He wears a yarmulke and a, and a oh, prayer shawl. I met shawl. him. I love the guy. I met he's him, a very yeah. spe- oh there oh you you met a he, he's not the one you met. Oh yes really? <laughs> yes I know who you met. No, no, no. There are a few uh, Christians who come to the to the service. We love them. And there's no way to know because, as I noted, when you put a yarmulke on a dog, the dog looks Jewish. I mean, <laughs> it, it's truly transformative. And, and, and th- this guy is, is very successful and far, far wealthier than I. He, he's, in fact, he's, um, 
Uh, he told me last week, he said, I won't see you for four weeks. I go, why? He goes, I'll be in my home in Idaho. I don't have a home in Idaho. <laughs> I have one house. He has, he has, I don't know how many. And But nobody would know it. That's my point. If I didn't know it till he happened to mention it to me. And that's, nobody talks about that when they talk about religion. And that's something that theoretically progressives value more than anything, equality. The only equality I have ever experienced is in my synagogue. It's so important. I want to take a bullhorn and just shout it. it yes, I know you know in it's mass. important. That's right. I didn't well, realize you, you how... Well, you see it at our Shabbat dinner. You oh, don't know who's, who's successful or not. No, no idea. And it means idea. nothing to anybody. We don't, we don't talk about... No, no, of course not. We talk about our careers as, you know... As, an individual talks about a funny, you know, experience that's all. they had it's not at work, even, and but it's, it's not, not mentioned generally. It, it, we talk about big ideas. Maybe this sounds like a colossally stupid statement. I didn't realize how close you are with the members of of your congregation. It's it's the biggest reason that I stay in L.A. I know you have your core besties, right? If you yes, will. but but but, but, but wow. e- e- even if the besties moved with me, I feel a moral obligation and and a personal obligation. I love a lot of these people. They're, they're, I mean, I could tell you, uh, there, there a guy, there's a guy, there's a guy there. He was born in Moldavia. I mean, I would say a, at least a third of the, of the people were born in some other country. And <laughs> this guy, he, he's married to uh, a, a terrific American woman. This couple, they are so special. I got to introduce you, to, uh, introduce you to them when when you come next time. Uh, and I can't even say his name, Shlomo. He, he's, he's such a special man. So he walks around. He's like in charge of drinks. He walks around with a flask like he's an alcoholic <laughs> and pours drinks for everybody. Wait, alcoholic drinks? <laughs> yes, alcoholic drinks. Oh, yes, my God. Yes. I got to go make buddies uh, with Shlomo. No, no, you, oh, I assure you he'll make buddies with you <laughs> before you make buddies with him. Why have and I, I'm not even a drinker. I t- he says, Dennis, you have to drink. I go, okay, get, bring me a liqueur. Guy. So he now brings me this, I don't know, apricot or whatever liqueur, which is yummy. And, and then we, we do a toast to each other every week. I have been to your shul maybe, not not often, but three or four times. Right. I have never been poured a drink by this man. Okay. The, the, I don't know why. The audacity. Yeah, no, I, he, he'll, he, he will do penitence on Yom Kippur for that. There's oh no God. question. But anyway, there there are truly, truly wonderful people there. Look, there are. and you know what? I, I often say this to uh, the guys, I, you know, my intimates who, who founded it at our Shabbat lunch together. And I will say it, it is amazing how rare it is that anyone at, at there are like 150 people come every week. It's not small. And there are no a-holes how do you get 150 people randomly without one jerk? Because good people attract good people. Well, that I, that that seems and to also, be the case. And also, good. There's a large percentage of good people who won't put up with a holes, and a holes are repelled by the goodness of that, good people. Oh, that is so true. That's oh, that's you have no, that's the winner winner chicken dinner. That's that's the statement that I'm sorry. It's the what? The winner winner chicken dinner. Sean, did you ever hear of winner, winner, chicken dinner? Of course he has. I'm not One even minute. looking at him. He's nodding. Yeah. What does it mean, Sean? What Thank does you. it mean? He's Explain nodding. it to me. 
It's a good thing. Uh, it means it's a good thing. By the way, you said happy as a clam. I can't tell you how funny that is. I said happy as a clam on my radio show. And I then said, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, it's it's. Does true. anybody know? Do you know? So I anyway, know. I, 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 the beauty of doing anything public is somebody is going to know an answer to something. Yes. Boy, so if true? the original statement was happy as a clam at high tide, because at high tide they're less vulnerable to being picked off by predator birds. How do you like that? It emanates from the early 19th century in the U.S. Happy as a clam at high tide. And then it got the, as in high tide, got dropped. We should start saying that. We should start bringing oh, of back Of course, the, otherwise it doesn't mean doesn't anything. It doesn't make sense, yep. But it's funny that people use a, a phrase and it means nothing to them. I would say happy as a clam and think, what did I just say? Anyway. It's, it's, I'm trying to think of others that we use colloquially that yeah that i i would like i would like to think of it too i can't nothing comes to what mind did you right say now. well we did we did something on sayings in our early episodes what what i'll be a monkey's oh uncle yeah i'll be a something? monkey's uncle that's right Da-da. which you never heard of correct i i Vaguely. i had never heard you, of it oh you no, never I heard, never of, heard it. of it you told me i can't remember what it means though i don't know what it means what does it mean again no i well i know what the intention is just oh. as like i know the intention of happy is a clam but i don't know why what's it the intention that. of monkey's uncle Oh, man. Uh, well, let's see. If you tell me something outlandish, unbelievable, I'll go, well, I'll be, a, in other words, that I'll be as unbelievable as what you just told me because I'm not, not going to be a monkey's uncle. So we do know sort of the origins of, of the Well, term. I don't we know the surmise. origins. We can surmise. I, I, you know, why, why, why isn't it I'll be a uh, German shepherd's uncle? Or a dinosaur's niece. I may use that. I could see that. I'll be a dinosaur's niece. Well, you should say nephew. How do you know? I'm, you're, you're right. Not, I make I make assumptions. You, are, you might be misgendering me. Don't start me on the subject. <laughs> I knew this would be intense. If people yeah. really listen to this one, there were there were life changing elements to it, and I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm sorry that I I feel like I talked a nausea oh, about myself. Oh, oh no! Uh, for well, okay, let me so let me just put your mind to rest. I asked you about you. If you didn't answer by telling me about you, you wouldn't have answered the question. See, it's hard because you know you said last episode that you that people who are listening have to feel like they know you. To keep yes, coming back. Right, but the, the, and by the way, this is not, and you know, and I know, it's not an act. We're not like just, every, you know, everybody being, knows. This everyone knows that. Yes. Everyone knows that we are genuinely open. But, but I do strive on my own. Job, I'll just end with this by telling you, I do struggle a little bit because I want people to know me, but I also don't want to talk about myself right, because people they, my no, age no. Well, do first that of all, constantly. They can know you without your talking about yourself, right? They're not the same thing. There are people who sure. talk about themselves and we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So, it, But it, it doesn't hurt for you to do so, but you, you have to be judicious. That's true. Yes. I try to stay away from it. Yeah. Well, just judicious. I mean, there, there are – I know people know me and it's not because I'm telling them my autobiography all the time. It is because I'm telling them how, how I think, how I feel, what matters to me. 
and, mm-hmm. and it, it just comes through. I can't fully explain it. You could because you're a listener. The outsider will explain better. Why do you think, why do you, the listener, think you know Dennis? And I know you do. And I can't answer it fully, except that I know I don't hide anything. And people pick up on that. People are not stupid. I'll, I'll end with a very, I think I told you this in the beginning, uh, but I'm not sure. When you started, that is your beginning. I realized very early on the following, or it was a piece of advice to myself, and that was that I needed to understand that, I forgot how I phrased it, but essentially this, virtually everyone I'm I'm talking to on the radio, I, oh yes, this is the way I put it. Never underestimate their intelligence and never overestimate their knowledge. That's the way I've conducted my radio all of my life. I know I'm speaking to intelligent people, and I also know that a lot of them don't know that much, which is not often their fault. Sometimes it is. They should pursue knowledge, but it's the, the educational system is, is a grand, grand mm-hmm. failure. You also communicate it through your tone of voice, which may sound low on the totem pole because obviously the content of what you're saying is more important. But I can tell a genuine person through the way that they they speak. I I think most people can. And so when I first listened to you, I could literally hear Uh that you were a genuine person. That's what Sue says. I said, so... uh, when you first met me, Sue, how long did it take to fall in love with me? She said, I was in love with you before I met you. Aww. She always says that from the radio. And, and not in a silly way. Just she, she knew me. I didn't have to prove who I was when we first met. Cause I, she, and, and which really struck me. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that answer. You felt you knew me that well? I knew we would be besties. Really? If I had the opportunity to meet you, yes, I knew that we would get oh, along. Oh, that's well. amazing! Oh, I would listen. I would go. Age he thinks like I do. Yes. Wow. Oh, I knew we would get along. That's. I just didn't well, think I would ever be able to meet you, but there you shows go. how wrong I was about that. Thank God. Thank God, I duplicate that. Nice note to end on. Yes. You can reach me at julie at julie-hartman.com. I've been better about responding to my mail, and I love hearing from you, so please keep them coming. And let us let us know what you thought of today. We were we were really, I mean, yes. we're always open, but, but no, the, this, was, this was a biggie, as uh, you would w- say. I, I say bestie in winter, winter chicken dinner, and you say biggie. Correct. See you next time. Shalom. Indeed. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.